Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Last week, Jerry shared that greed is perhaps the top-ranked sin on his list of seven deadly sins. Not that they're ranked, but I think each of us have certain struggles with certain ones. But I would rank lust as number one for me, the worst, worst of the worst. When your pastors gathered to talk about who would preach on what sin, I didn't just end up with lust because I drew the short straw. That's not what happened. I took this on because I want to ponder with you on this challenging topic that just doesn't get talked about enough. It makes us uncomfortable to talk about sex and sexuality in the church, and I get that. But I don't think that the church has done a good enough job of teaching about healthy sexual ethics. Instead, we have made sexuality something to be ashamed of and something not talked about at all. When we are not comfortable and open about these challenges, harm to self and others may occur more frequently, leading to this deadly sin. And I know that we can do better. I have a colleague named Brent who openly shares his struggle with lust, sin, and the journey to forgiveness. He and I wrote, uh, we each wrote a chapter of a book together called Becoming a Disciple. There were 10 of us pastors that wrote a chapter of this book. And his is number one chapter. And I thought, I have to follow this. But he shares this amazing story, this authentic and dark story at times about his past. His past reveals that he has worked hard to overcome a serious dark time of the soul. Brent shares that he wasn't sure when his sexuality went from that of a normal teenage boy to that of an addict, but he had been abusing pornography for a long time. For him, it was a secret world of escape. By day, he played the part of a well-respected, church-going, put-together young man, but at night, he hid alone in his cave. His fake relationships, peddled by pornography, were his sad substitute for real connection, and he became a slave to the well-hidden evil within him, and he was profoundly alone. In reality, while Brent felt alone, he is not, in fact, alone in his struggle. A recent study showed that 63% of Christian men view pornography at least once a month. The study also found that the use of pornography seems to be accelerating amongst younger adults, with monthly viewing among men ages 18 to 30 reported at 78%. But after years of his own personal struggle, Brent found the courage to walk into an unfamiliar church basement and utter these words, Hi, I'm Brent, and I'm a sex addict. He was in the right meeting. Over time, he began to face his sin, his fears, and come to the realization that if sin is whatever wedges its way in and tears apart, working against our God-given gravity toward real intimacy, then forgiveness is just the opposite. Forgiveness is then restoring intimacy. 
It's when God removes that wedge of sin that broke the connection between God and ourselves, between ourselves and others, and between us and our very selves. Forgiveness is reconnection, and wholeness and healing is found in community with God and with others. We don't overcome this challenging stuff by ourselves. Lust, then, is a deadly sin when it gets to the point of our desires leading to shame, isolation, and separation from what's most real and true. It separates us from real intimacy with the self, with others, and with God. Lust gets on that list when it leads to behaviors that harm ourselves, someone else, or objectifies the bodies of others. Desire in itself is not harmful. In fact, it is a good, normal, and healthy thing. But if we are not careful, lust can easily sneak its way in and lead to bad fruits, such as sexual assault, domestic violence, the abuse of children, power over another, the sexual mistreatment and objectification of bodies, just to name a few. Today you have notoriously, well, you have heard this notoriously difficult saying of Jesus in the Matthew text. He says, But I say to you that every man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to fall into sin, tear it out and throw it away. And please, no one get any ideas about losing eyes or limbs today. Please don't do that. <laughs> We do, after all, have a forgiving God and a Savior that speaks harsh words to get our attention and to make a point. But this text still begs the question, who then is exempt from committing lust? Well, none of us are free from this one. We see it everywhere, from the popular Fifty Shades of Grey series selling in bookstores to the hamburger commercials that we see during the Super Bowl, to chips, to whatever it is, cell phone plans. Lust is a free-for-all and freely available. Sex sells. And in our sex-saturated, sex-infatuated culture, these words of Jesus might seem a bit excessive. Because why make such a big deal out of something that has become so mainstream, right? So widely practiced. It's as if lust presents us with a paradox. On one hand, our sexuality is presented to us as a gift from God, and we are instructed to be fruitful and multiply and to love and enjoy one another intimately. Now, on the other hand, sexuality, when used for harm, can be detrimental to ourselves and our relationships. Today, it is reported that one in five women and one in 71 men have been sexually assaulted or raped. I believe it. Most of the women I know who are close enough to share openly with me have horrific stories about sexual abuse or trauma at some point in their lives. And many stories go untold out of fear or shame. So friends, we must do better. And so with many of the seven deadly sins, the sin of lust is in our perversion of the good. 
How could it be that such a good, godly gift like sexual intimacy could be in our hands such a sorrow, such a danger, such a shameful thing? Lust is the reminder that God has given us good gifts like sex that enable us to participate in some of the divine creativity and we have the power within us to abuse and misuse those gifts. We confess in our darkest moments, we hold the capacity to disrespect one another's bodies. We degrade and abuse one another, and we see the other as simply an object of lust and not as a whole human being. And let's not forget that we live in a world where young women and girls are kidnapped, raped, and killed by the hundreds of thousands every day. When I was in South Africa with my clergy colleagues several years ago, we walked through several townships, those places outside of Cape Town where apartheid is still alive and unfortunately well. We walked through these townships where people still live in houses made of cardboard and metal, where there is very little, if no, running water, and the toilets were porto potties that were in rough shape and some non-functional. As we walked through during the bright light of day, we realized that there were no street lights to light up the areas at nighttime. We then learned that in some townships, women were afraid for their lives to venture out at night just to go to the restroom without fear of being raped. These tragic occurrences were just a part of life every single day for the people of the townships. The deadly sin of lust has led to the victimization and violence of women around the world, children as well, with the sex trafficking trade around the world. Women and children being sold for sexual exploitation is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. This despite the fact that international law and the laws of 134 countries criminalize sex trafficking. At least 20.9 million adults and children are bought and sold worldwide into commercial sexual servitude, forced labor, and bonded labor. About 2 million children are exploited every year in the global community. And almost 6 in 10 identified trafficking survivors were trafficked for sexual exploitation. Women and girls make up 98% of victims of trafficking for sexual exploitation, and one of the largest events in the United States where sex trafficking occurs, can you guess? The Super Bowl, that's right. There is no doubt that our culture and our world is out of control when it comes to sexuality, that this gift we have been given has been turned upside down and used in sinful ways that lead to destruction of ourselves and of others sometimes the most vulnerable among us. So what can we do about it? We can start by reminding ourselves that God created us not for sin, but for salvation. We have been created for eternal communion with God, and our hearts are restless to engage in true love rather than love's pale substitutes. 
We are not called only to name and confess our sin, but also to be free of our sin. That is the good news. By the grace of God, we can do better. We can be honest about our desires that may lead to harm. We can accept that we are not alone in our pathways to healing. As Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians when he addresses the controversial topic of sexual immorality in the community, he reminds the church in Corinth that they are to know that their bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and belong to God. In this case, he is reminding them that their bodies are not meant to be subject to the temple prostitution rituals of the pagans and the Greeks. No, they are set aside for God's glory and the experience of healthy intimacy in committed relationships. So today we are to remind ourselves to honor our bodies and the bodies of others as we seek the divine, the incarnation of Jesus in ourselves, in each person. We also combat the, the deadly sin of lust by opening up healthy conversations within the church and with our youth about sexuality. One of the biggest concerns in our society today is what our children are being taught about sex, about intimacy, about bodies and loving our bodies. And I don't think that the church talks about it enough. The church should be a place where we are open to talking about it. It should be a safe space for those tough questions to be asked without judgment, for struggles to be named, and for education to be available. In many ways, the church has failed to communicate a healthy sexual ethic to our next generation and even amongst ourselves and our current generation. Talk about sex and sexuality needs to be normalized and not something shamed or condemned. We also need to take responsibility in teaching our children and young men in particular about consent and respect for others' bodies. Too often I hear these blame the victim phrases being thrown around. When there is a sexual crime that's committed, I hear phrases such as, well, she asked for it. Or someone will ask, well, what was she wearing? Now that needs to stop. It begins with teaching all of our kids, our youth, and especially our boys and young men, respect for women and for women to respect themselves and honor their bodies enough to know it's okay to feel good about themselves without fear of being harassed, groped at, or attacked. My son Xavier is five. We have already had to have several conversations about the importance of consent and how we respect other people's bodies as well as our own. Now, at times, these conversations can be uncomfortable, but I believe they are an essential part of raising children today. Where else may they be learning it from if not from us? In a safe space to ask questions and to have these conversations. This has been a challenging series, I know, for all of us. And this topic especially for me. But as we wrap up this challenging series on the seven deadly sins, we are reminded of the good news that even though we struggle and stumble over our sins and mistakes and the ways we drift away from God and ourselves and our neighbors, 
that God seeks to work within us to transform us and save us. We are all works in progress. As my friend Brent says of his journey to recovery, he says, I began to understand that both recovery and discipleship are about far more than stopping destructive behavior. They're about learning how to live a life of openness and connection that God intends for all of God's children. They're not only about receiving freedom from addiction or sin, they're about receiving freedom for abundant life in relationship with God and with others. God uses many tools to help heal heal the brokenness that we carry. And God is constantly at work reconnecting what sin has torn apart in every community and every individual, even the deadliest of sins that we all carry. So know that you are not alone in the struggle, whatever it is that you are struggling with. And there's a list right there of the seven deadly sins we've been wrestling with over the past few weeks, and I invite you to ponder on one or two that you particularly struggle with, because we all have that one or two or three. So as you ponder, sit down and join the crowd and know that we are all seeking salvation from something. We all come seeking transformation out of brokenness, and we come to find a Savior who comes to reconcile the world unto himself. And especially this Palm Sunday, who comes in our lives once again as we are reminded of the path of Holy Week into Jerusalem. That we may be forgiven and restored children of God. Friends, we are in the right meeting. Amen.